Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is my great pleasure to be with you today. Let us pray together. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you that you give us your words. And as we focus on your words, we think of the word himself, Jesus Christ. Because when our focus is on him, we cannot go wrong. And we are strengthened. And the power of your magnetic Holy Spirit unifies us and moves us in one direction to fulfill the mission you've given to this congregation. May we today be receptive to your words and be receptive to the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts 3, 1 through 10 is a very familiar passage because it, it informs us about who we are in Jesus and to what we have been called as followers of God. You may want to turn to the entire passage. I will maybe just highlight a verse or so or two on the screen. I read from the NIV. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. That's at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day those going into the temple. Now you have a text right there before you. Now Peter and John, going up to the temple at three, also known as the time of sacrifice, the time for sacrifice. At the same time, a man lame from birth, the Bible tells us, was being carried by friends to the door of the temple, a good spot for begging. The gate was called Beautiful. And it, was, it really was a good spot for begging because if worshippers could not be counted on to have pity. On whom could he rely? And while the gate was called beautiful, because it was adorned with magnificent silver and gold plates, it was the closest thing to beauty that this man had experienced in his life. Because we're told... Now for 40 years of his man's life, the congenital disability that had left his ankles useless and rendered him incurable and incapable of walking, it subjected him to a life as a beggar and an object of pity. I think of our Sabbath school lesson this quarter the least of these. Society would not have placed any value on that man. 
his self-worth and dignity as a man could not have risen any higher than the dust of the ground from which he daily begged. Consider, his existence was a constant problem, or at best, an inconvenience for his family and for his friends. Those of you that care for a disabled person, you understand. Until then, that day to that man must have seemed like just any other, begging for loose change, hoping to get enough to provide for his meager needs. That would be as good as it got for that man. There could not have been, I would think, any hope in this, in this man's life. Tomorrow never promised anything better. Now some of us can identify with his feelings. Because there are times in our lives and in our circumstance, there seems to be just an endless daily grind to get enough just to pay the bills and to put food on the table. And no matter how hard we try, it's always the same. I know that you're well-dressed and looking good, but that may belie your true circumstance. Only you know what you have to deal with. And when you think you are bad off, there's always somebody who's worse off than you are. But our situation is not beyond hope. Because we have hope in Jesus. And it's not a cliche. It's a reality of the magnetic force of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when he pulls us to him, what he can do for us. And we hold on to his word that he will provide for us. That's why the psalmist could declare, I was young. And now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. This man did not have our assurance of hope. So he began his daily routine. He stretched out his hand to start begging before Peter and John had gone by. But something strange happened. Peter and John stopped began looking at him. And Peter said, look at us. Now, the man did so thinking maybe his day was starting out well. He was about to receive their money. The original language described Peter's and John's look as earnest. And it's translated that way in the King James Version. It is very likely that they had seen this man on previous visits to the temple. They lived there after all. They went to the temple on a regular basis. But like so many of us, when we are accustomed to seeing the homeless, the poor and the pitiful, after a while they tend not to register in our conscience, in, in our conscience anymore. When we are preoccupied with our own well-being and our own concerns, 
our hearts are unmoved by their circumstance and they fade from our vision. We don't see them even though we pass them every day by the side of the road. Because we're accustomed to them. However, Peter and John were not the same men who had followed Jesus for three and a half years under the time of his death on Calvary. Although they had witnessed the love and the compassion of Jesus, they had simply remained brothers and sisters, religious men. Sincerely following the dictates of their religion. There had not been a change of heart even after three and a half years of being with Jesus. It was not until after his resurrection when Jesus appeared in the room where they had been. I've lost this one here. When he appeared in the room after his resurrection, when Jesus had said appeared in the room where they'd been hiding in fear of the Jews, and he had revealed himself to them that they were converted. It was only after then. And shortly after, on the day of Pentecost, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were now different men. They now had purpose in their lives. You see, Jesus had given them a mission. So they now saw this beggar in his true condition. A child of God. Someone whom from birth was not just born in sin and iniquity, but someone who had been ravaged by sin and had cast been cast useless to the side of the road for people to pity and scorn. God's creation had been taken and thrown to the dust. That's how they now saw him. Peter and John now saw someone for whom the Savior came and gave his life for. And so for the first time, they saw him as a brother. A brother in desperate need. And so they commanded his attention. And the beggar gave it. However, it was not a look of faith that he gave. But simply one expectation of money. And Peter disappoints him. Peter says, silver or gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Walk. Now Peter is not simply acting on the authority of Jesus. He's making a declaration. That he has a vital connection with Jesus. It's a declaration that he knows Jesus intimately. He is in relationship with him. He is to use the Apostle Paul's phrase of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. He was in Christ. Now you and I, brothers and sisters, when we come to Jesus Christ, we are in him in the same way 
that He is in us. We are, if you compare it to how we are in our world, the oxygen in this room, which we are in the oxygen, am I right? That same oxygen is where? Within us. You separate us from the oxygen and see what happens. It's the same way that when we are in Christ, we become inseparable from Him. He lives in us and we live in Him. Peter knew he was in Christ and he could confidently tell the beggar that he would give him what he had. The question is, are we as confident that as his followers that we have the same living experience with Jesus Christ? Are you in any doubt as to whether or not Jesus lives within you? Understand, even though Peter and had been with Jesus for three and a half years, he was still up to that point only a religious person. And it took the cross and the risen Savior for him to be converted and be filled with the Spirit and given a mission. Is it the same with you and me here in Belleville today? We can be very religious people. You know that? Carefully observing all that we've been taught from God's word. Living by the practices of our church. But still lack the assurance of our conversion. And our Christianity is too often about belonging to a religious club. We are able to teach well. Preach well about Jesus, but still do not have him resident in our life. We can share knowledge about prophecy and the Sabbath, but do not have a personal testimony of our Lord. We might attend church regularly, but our living is not determined by the mission God has given to us. Can you and I confidently invoke the name of Jesus? Knowing that it's not simply a formula, but it speaks of your relationship with him as his disciple, who is fulfilling the mission he has given to you. Peter did something else when he invoked the name of Jesus. He was actually helping this man walk with Jesus. He was laying the foundation of faith for the man to begin. You see, the man begging in the streets, he could not have been in the streets and not heard about Jesus of Nazareth. The same one who had been crucified. So the connection between Jesus and what was about to happen was there in Peter's use of the name of Jesus. The name signified something important. It meant something. So now having planted the seeds of faith, Peter commands the man to walk. The text says in verse 7, Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. You see, 
Peter grasped him, I believe, by the right hand, the very hand the man had held out in hope of receiving money. But instead of silver and gold in his hand, the man now received life. Amen? Peter and John could have left him now. My word, sorry. If I put it in my pocket, it works easier, right? Peter and John could have left him. But they helped him from the ground, from his former life of hopelessness. Raised him to a new existence. One that he could never have managed before. Now if Peter and John had walked away, the lame man, having been told he was healed, would have eventually discovered that his feet and ankles were normal and he could walk. But the two disciples didn't want to delay. They wanted him to stand and immediately walk. They wanted to have him glorify God there and then. They wanted him to experience God's transforming power there and then. And so instantly, at Peter's words, the man's limbs are firm, sound, strong. And the Bible says, Immediately having been restored to his full capabilities, the man leaped up. He stood. You know, I don't know if he, the Bible didn't say he wobbled. He just stood. You know when you see a little child learn to walk, you know. This wasn't him. And he began walking. See, he obeyed what Peter and had commanded. And he began to walk. When God says walk, brothers and sisters, we walk. And to look where he walked. Look to where he walked. He accompanied the disciples, the apostles, as they went up to the steps, onto the gate beautiful, and into the temple. Walking, of course, but also leaping and jumping, overjoyed at the blessings that was freely given to him, and praising God, who had made him so rich in the name of Jesus. The disciples could have left them there, but they didn't. They walked with him into the temple. He journeyed with them until right into the presence of God. I don't need to miss that. They walked with him. They led him into the presence of God, signified by the temple. How is your walk? Are you walking and jumping and praising God? Or have you simply accepted some teachings that simply wear down heavily on you? Unless you and I are assured of our oneness with Christ, our identity in Him that leaves us praising Him, we will not be of much value in church and for the mission He has given to it. God needs men, women, boys and girls who are assured of their salvation in Him, and who are, as a response, living in obedient faith as His disciples to carry out the purpose of this church, Belleville. This is foundational for all that this church should be doing, or maybe is doing. It's all about the mission and the call for disciples to carry it out. Consider this. 
God calls everyone to be a disciple. He calls us to be like Peter and John. To have a living connection with him. In such a way. Making friends with people. And as we witness to others, they will also want to become disciples. Not so much by the doctrines we teach, but by the love they have, they receive from us. So it's not just a, a one week of care and share. And thank you for a wonderful promotion, brother. I'm going to tell Pastor Sergeant about you. But every single day of our lives, this is our mission. Let's consider some more before we finish off today. Does anyone remember this? Anyone can tell me? What's it called? A blackberry. Or even a more modern one. Yes. Okay. Now back in the middle to late 2000s, seemed a long time ago, the Blackberry was a phone to have. Now you ask anyone under 35 about a Blackberry, they think you're talking about a fruit. <laughs> Experts tell us that the demise of research in motion, this RIM, uh, Blackberry's owner, was caused by the company's inability to recognize the market had changed. Society had changed. RIM had become complacent in its preeminent position, thinking that because its product was so good, people keep on buying it. See, they were calibrated for a world that no longer existed. And they paid little attention to companies such as Apple and Samsung, who had entered a mobile phone market until it was too late for them, Pastor. You still have your Blackberry? I'm teasing him. He recognized things had changed. I was at some meetings last November at the NAD. An Adventist church leader recently described the Seventh-day Adventist church as also being calibrated for a world that no longer existed. He said, and it really shocked me because I said, well, it's true. It is possible, he said, that we are still operating in 1985. Our society has drastically changed. But we have remained three decades behind with the same outlook and often with the same approaches to our mission as we did in the 70s and 80s. I travel all across this province. I go back to my home conference in England and I said, have I stepped back into a time warp? You see, we are definitely living in 2019. When it is difficult to determine what is true from fake in society. Today's society hardly reads anything of substance. Even in our church, it appears that Bible knowledge among members is decreasing. How many of us actually take time to read and study the Bible today? Other than to look at a text of Sabbath school quarterly. How many of us actually know enough of what our church teaches to actually give a series of Bible studies that could help someone in their walk with Jesus? 
to become a disciple. Now, we are living in 2019 when marriage is no longer just between a man and a woman. In 2019, sisters, your husband could tell you that he is really a woman trapped in a, in a, in a male body and could no longer live with you as, your, as a man and as your husband, or vice versa. Now, I'm not saying that to disparage anyone. There's no opinion. I'm just simply stating how a world is now different. And it's changing at a breakneck pace. We're living in 2019 when people are concerned about what the church has to say. I mean, to a vast majority of our community here in Belleville, we're really irrelevant. Having little or no impact on their lives. They see us entering our place of worship and it means absolutely nothing to them. If we're to close our churches around our province and never return, it's highly unlikely that we'll be missed from society. Don't fool yourself into thinking, yeah, we would be missed. No, we wouldn't. Hardly anyone would notice our absence. Why? Because we are often more concerned about ourselves than about them. This would not be the case if we were a mission-driven church. If our mission becomes our fundamental reason for being here. I can assure you it would be a far different story. My wife was sharing with me yesterday from Signs, the most recent Signs magazine, a story, a news report of a church, not one of our churches, that used to spend a lot of money every year advertising, thousands of dollars, if anyone saw the uh, story, um, advertising the Easter program in the community for people to come to. And one year decided, we are not going to advertise our Easter program anymore. We're going to spend the money to help people in the community. Which do you think is of more value? The Easter program or spend the money in the community? Spending the money in the community. But for, they woke up. They were always doing things for whom? Themselves. We have to be driven by our mission because our world and our church are both rapidly changing in North America. And you consider we are part of North America. Mexico, United States, and Canada. We make up America, by the way. Okay? The continent of America includes South America as well. As a continent of America. So in North America here, for the past seven years, even as our church baptized more people, 33.4% of our previous members left. Just over one third. Among the millennials, and by the way, an 18 year old is not a millennial. Okay? Millennials, those aged between 25 and 38 in 2019, the loss is much higher. In fact, a recent Pew research show seems to show that young adults in our churches do not view the church, do not view its teachings as how it carries out its mission in the same way as their parents or their grandparents did. 
they often have different priorities and don't feel that they have to be in a church building during a worship service to be Christians. They're not concerned about arguments about how you dress or about doctrine. They're more concerned about whether we are living as Jesus did. As someone recently said, they identify with a church that holds Jesus as the center. And not what one that is simply against stuff because of how you dress. They want a church that our focus is on Jesus. In other words, they want to be part of a church that is trying to live out the mission Jesus has given to the church. They want their church to have a real and tangible purpose. We are called as disciples to be as Peter and John were. To make this church one that focuses on the mission of Jesus and sees things differently from how we previously did, even though we did them very religiously. So as we consider our church and our community here in Belleville, we realize that this is clearly not an easy task. Not when we consider to what we have been called to do, that is to make disciples of others. Now one thing is certain, it is clearly not about running a religious club, brothers and sisters. No, our ministries, Sabbath school, youth, family, etc., working together are for carrying out the purpose for which God established this church. And we cannot do that if we do not know what the purpose of the church is. Otherwise, we will simply be busy running around doing lots of religious things, running excellent programs that have no real effect on changing people's lives for Jesus Christ. So what is the mission? What is the purpose of our church? Well, there are many ways of saying it. I like Stephen Cole's understanding. He says this. The church's mission is to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making Christ-like disciples who make Christ-like disciples. Matthew five sixteen says it this way. Let your light so shine that men may see your good work and do what? Glorify the Father which is in heaven. See, when we proclaim the gospel to the lost, and make Christ like disciples, who in turn make Christ like disciples, we are glorifying God. It is far more than growing membership. It is about making people into followers of Jesus as we are. People in whom Jesus lives and are inseparable from him. And as they begin to follow Jesus as his disciples, as we are, they then start making disciples for Jesus and in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to others. They, as we do, grow in Jesus, are equipped by the Holy Spirit to overcome the pressures, the trials, the real trials of this present life and become more Christ-like and really live out being the salt of this community.
So becoming a disciple, brothers and sisters, and Pastor will tell you more about this as you go along, I'm sure you've been doing so already, is not simply gaining more information about Jesus, but rather like Peter, knowing Jesus, being transformed into his image through the constant exposure of the gospel of grace. Being a disciple is to follow the call to live by faith in Jesus in our everyday interactions with people. Some of us have held membership for many years in other countries or here, but have yet to become disciples or lead others into discipleship. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of everyone in Belleville. And as they become his disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then disciple them, teach them how to observe all the things I have commanded you. This is what this congregation, every individual, member or not, must be about. The role that we intentionally and habitually play to fulfill what God has tasked us to do, to make those disciples. So everything we must do should be about fulfilling the purpose of this church. When your departments meet, and if someone um, suggests something to do, the question must always be raised, what part of our mission is that? If it's not part of the mission, don't waste money on it, or time, no matter how nice it is. It must be about the mission. It must be about that. I say this to you, brothers and sisters, it's not a short process. It's not an overnight thing. It is accomplished through building relationships. This is how Jesus did it. We introduce people to Jesus. And we walk by their side in relationship with them. Step by step. Until they are converted. Baptized. Become disciples. And are being transformed. Remember Peter and John. Walked with a man. After he was healed. Walked into the temple. So we continue in relationship with Jesus. And we continue in relationship with people we meet. For the rest of our lives. Mentoring them. Helping them. Encouraging them. Together. We continue. Growing in the fullness of Jesus. The work of a lifetime. When Peter and John. Saw the lame man and looked at him. They knew their purpose. They knew their purpose. When we leave this building today. When we go out into our community, we look at our neighbors, we know what we must do. Our mission will focus our attention. Our mission will concentrate our effort and our energy on what is truly important. When we take off our eyes, take our eyes of our purpose, we simply are operating a religious club. So as we close, I say to you, 
Are you in thanksgiving like the beggar, like the lame man now healed? Thankful and joyful to God for giving you life. And if so, why not be willing to share that life with somebody else that they may have that same joy? Are you willing to commit yourself to him today to serve Jesus Christ in carrying out the mission he has given you to make disciples of others? As the Holy Spirit, as Brother Leonardo showed, as you make yourself attracted by the Holy Spirit, and as he calls you into discipleship, I urge you to respond in commitment to him today to be part of a congregation that plans to live with his mission as his focus. May God bless you and keep you. And may you be like Peter and John, men who are converted to Jesus and not just religious people. In his name we pray.